Let's see. Mr. Gordon, as the wind goes sweeping down the plane. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right, so um, without further ado, five, four, three, two, one. Come on, get happy. Welcome back. My name is David Auger, and I'm at MetalDave01 on Twitter.com. And we have all sorts of fun things to talk about uh, today. I mean, right now, currently, we have Bob McKenzie on uh, Twitter essentially spitballing if maybe we'll have one draft or maybe two drafts. How much fun would that be? Nobody knows what's going to happen yet, but I know, right? It's it's being discussed, apparently. (laughs) Uh, Regardless, my name is David Auger, and I'm joined by Beth. What's up? I'm Beth. I'm at H-I-V-E-R-H-O-I-T on Twitter.com. And uh, Veronica. Yeah, I am at C-H-I-L-E underscore Pepper on Twitter. And we have a guest with us uh, tonight. He is a uh, a craftsman with words, a literary genius, and uh, pretty good <laughs> at hockey, and very, very knowledgeable about food in and out of the Montreal area. We have ourselves, yeah. Sean Gordon from The Athletic. Sean, how are you doing tonight? I'm, I'm just great. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure to be with you. It's an absolute yeah. pleasure. Yes. And, uh, and uh, the, the, this hyperbole, uh, like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it, but it's completely unnecessary. <laughs> it okay, is. But no, I was it's just all true. Articles, though, and like, I'm like, I love that word and that word. Oh, that one's beautiful. Yes, yes. It was like a smorgasbord of delicious words. I mean, when In... I say that uh, you're the hagen of articles, I'm not exaggerating. Oh so. dear. Okay. Great. Wow. He's at least yeah. is better than Hagen does though, and he's at least Coldstone. Uh, I wouldn't I'm, like I'm, all the names. I'm, I'm, I'm blushing. I'm blushing over here in my basement. Uh, in my, in my plateau, listen, so there you go. listen. Right. Arpen, Arpen's like yeah, you know, like Coldstone. All right. I'm going oh. to stick with Hagen does over here. All right. <laughs> you can you can keep your Coldstone to yourself. <laughs> Bye. What's a, when's the last time you've had Cold Stone? Actually, let's have a discussion about that. Uh, I have never had Cold Stone. I don't even I, know what that is. What about have you? Do you have marble slab? Uh, no, that's not know. here. I we like okay. the the we there, there's like a there's a lo- local kind of locavore Quebec ice cream uh called Quaticook, which is quite good. Uh, but yeah, I'm not, you know what, the best ice cream I've ever had, which I think is like, seriously, is worth the trip. There's a place called Murphy's Ice Cream uh, in Ireland. And it was oh, God. Oh. Let's go to yeah, Ireland. It's yeah, Dingle. It's ice cream, you guys. In Dingle, in Dingle, Ireland. Best ice cream oh. in Dingle, Ireland. Yes. Little, little ice cream cows. Like they have the specific breed of oh Irish heritage cows they're little cows and and they're like ice cream milk like they just don't drink their milk just make ice cream with it and it's perfect oh and God. I swear to you it is absolutely the best ice cream I've ever had I was that's incredible because I'm thinking like I don't know if that's on St. Catharines or not. <laughs> <laughs> no. I never heard of it Murphy's. no 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 a little further afield no this we do have decent options here. We do have decent options here. As I say, I think the, the Quaddy Cook stuff is, is kind of, it's made in Eastern Townships, and that, for my money, that's pretty good. But uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I'll get yelled at because there are also some very boutique-y uh, 
craft ice creamy places. There's an outfit not too far from here uh, where, where I'm talking to you now that's called Chem Coba, which is in Mile End where all the hipsters live. And um, oh. it is, it's really, really good. And you can, like, it's got, there's, there's like a, there's, there's perennially a lineup. There's always a lineup outside the place. So anyway, next time you guys, if, if there's ever an actual playoff game in Montreal <laughs> in the spring, uh, at some point in the next like 25 years, uh, you should you should go to Kemcoba uh, if you come in if you come in to see one of the games. Wow! Uh, I'm looking at Murphy's. It has its own wiki page. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh, wow! Deal. I'm telling you! I'm telling you! Like it's and the guys the guys it's really interesting stories. So like the dudes the dudes who decided to revive the business are actually American, but they're Irish descended Americans. And they uh, they kind of took it upon themselves, having I think made a little bit of money doing something else. They took it upon themselves to essentially revive this dying breed of of Dingle Peninsula superstar superhero ice cream cow. So yeah, it's cool. It's, Amazing. I'm telling you, it's worth, I, it's, I'm not, <gasps> they I'm, have I'm, vegan I'm options. Only, I am only slightly exaggerating when I tell you that it's worth the trip for that alone. <laughs> Amazing. I have I have ancestors. Thought from ireland it's what? on my it's on well yeah on my mom's side what yeah oh yeah i don't Man, i look what irish a, what an episode we already we <laughs> talked about the we talked about the german mustard that one time my mind's getting blown yes. right now i'm like <laughs> i haven't had cold stone in 15 years so let me just say that okay back to this wait, wait. irish okay. i i have irish ancestry Miss, you mean, uh, are you saying Veronica brown Cagnetti? people can't have Irish no, ancestors? I'm not saying that. David? I'm just saying it was the last I expected to hear in this year of our Lord 2020. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm like I'm I forget, but I'm I think it's I'm one eighth Irish. <sighs> so I would love to go there. Anyway. There not about me. This is about Sean. All right. We oh, all she has to know is what Murphy's is at this point. Okay. <laughs> Sean has that, two really cool articles. Yeah, they athletic. were so good. Actually, uh, yeah, they're both amazing. I actually want to touch on the, yeah, I think uh, recent as of what, today? Yesterday? Yeah. Today. No, the, the one that you put down today about the 2010 Canadiens, holy yeah. crap. I haven't, oh I haven't gotten God. through the entire thing, but what? a piece of work before we actually get into the whole story of uh, that extraordinary playoff uh, run. Uh, you worked with Arpin and uh, Marc-Antoine Godin, and I'm just wondering, between the three of you, how often do you guys do a collaboration on a story to this extent? So the, the it's, it's an interesting question, uh, Dave. So like generally – we collaborate a lot. Like we're a small group, uh, small but mighty. Um, and I think a lot of the collaboration that happens tends to happen at the stage of uh, story pitches and and brainstorming and uh, hey, you should talk to this guy. Here's his number. That sort of stuff. Like we collaborate like that. I'm going to suggest to you on a daily basis, more or less. And we also collaborate a lot in terms of editing each other's copy. So. If I do something, for example, I had another piece today that I wrote about, which we can talk about later if you want. Uh, that was a piece that I did it, and then I said, show to the other guys, what do you think of this? 
um, often Mark Dumont's part of those discussions as well. And so like we're, we're, we're sharing each other's, uh, stories a lot before publication. And so that level of collaboration, uh, is, as I say, more or less a daily thing. Um, but the collaborations of the type that we put together, uh, for this particular story where all three of us really dug in to do, like we, 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 we talked about the idea, how we wanted to shape it. We split up the reporting. We all went off in our own directions. We came back. We did a bunch of supplementary reporting. We kind of structured our interviews in such a way that we left some people sort of later in the process to be able to bounce stuff off them and all this kind of stuff. And then we actually wrote it uh, and put it all in and organized it and did late night conference calls to kind of beat it into shape and then we had 15,000 words almost and then we brought in a guy called Aaron Yeomanson who's a, an ex-colleague of mine at the Globe and Mail who is the he's the group managing editor for Eastern Canada so he runs a lot of the enterprise reporting and he's sort of like the the overseer if you will of all of the operations in Eastern Canada and uh, he's really good at editing copy and so he said to us okay this is just too long and what are we going to do and we ended up he helped us knock it down to about 8,500 words, which is still one of the longest stories that's been written um, in our site, uh, the Montreal operation, if not the longest. Um, and we have stuff on the cutting room floor. Like we're starting to think that we might want to do like a like a B-sides kind of thing at some point with the stuff that we ended up having to cut. Just lots of really good stuff in there. Um, yeah. And so that type of a collaboration, uh, that's that's new like Marc Antoine and Arpin uh, collaborate on that level uh, and have done essentially since they started uh, the Athletic Montreal except that uh, for us to do that and kind of like all three of us together to that level and that degree on that big a story uh, that this was a first and this is something that we've been planning for a long time and uh, I don't think I'm betraying any confidences when I say that like uh, Julian McKenzie who's uh, a fantastic reporter and a great dude he did a piece for Habs Eyes on the Prize, and it was like he spent, I want to say, four or five months gathering material, and it was like essentially an oral history of, of some of the stuff that we did as well. And when, when that landed, we were just like, oh, come on, really? <laughs> oh, like, no. Come on. Like, we were already in the middle of, of, of everything we wanted to do. And, and I think the decision that we made at the beginning, which I still think is, if I don't know, I'm not going to say it's the correct decision. I, I think it's a, it's a defensible decision, and I think it's one that worked for our purposes, was to really tie uh, our look back on that on that entire season, uh, because it's not just the story of the playoffs, right? Like you, you, the playoffs, the playoffs yeah. didn't happen in isolation. And so our our decision to tell the story of that of that season and those playoffs, and to tie it to the end of that season and the playoffs, um, I think was like that worked. I think that worked relatively well, just in the context of what it was that we were trying to do. And so, uh, yeah, it was, it was honestly, it was a really, really super rewarding professional experience. And um, I mean, I, I think I, I say it all the time to, to, I've said it on this show and I've, I say it to anyone who will listen that, I mean, I, one of the best things about working for the athletic is that I get to work every day with a bunch of my buddies. And yeah. um, I think, I think it's, it's interesting because we, we, we often, we are often part of each other's process kind of like dropping in and sometimes one-on-one, -on -one, but to, to see everybody's process unfolding at the same time uh, was new and it was very cool. And, and I, I really, I mean, I, I'm speaking for myself here and I think the other guys would, would agree with me. I, I don't think this is the last time that we're going to try doing something like this because it was, it was actually super successful and super rewarding. Awesome. Incredible. Um, 
what do you think off the top of your head, uh, how much time uh, was put into getting all the material together from oh, start to God. finish, you think? Hours, hours and hours and hours and hours. Uh, you know what? I don't even, I, I'd have to sit down and actually think about it, but like dozens and dozens of hours. I, we, we spent the last week working very long hours and into the night to try and to try and get this into shape so that we could run it. Uh, initially, we'd, we'd hope to get it out yesterday on Sunday, which is the actual anniversary of the final game, mm. except that uh, then it occurred to us that because the story opens with a scene at uh, a pub called O'Regan's, which doesn't exist anymore, um, uh, it actually closed down partly because of because it sprung a leak, which is an interesting metaphor for the Canadians. But anyway, oh. the the the, <sighs> the, uh, the, the uh, that actual evening and the fact that those guys showing up there after flying back from Philadelphia was actually in the it was in the night of the 24th or 25th. So in in actual fact, uh, we can plausibly argue that the actual anniversary of where everything ended uh, and where our story begins was exactly 10 years ago today. So yeah, it was, but it was, it was a, a long time. And I got to say, uh, the, the, the guys that we reached out to and we were able to, we didn't, we spoke to a couple more guys than we actually, um, inter- sort of that we actually quoted in the story, except that it ended up being sort of episodic conversations or it was just the sort of thing where there wasn't any, like it was, was like we would hope to hook up and talk later for more, for more time, et cetera, didn't end up working out. But everybody who actually participated in this was incredibly generous with their time. And so, you know, we did hours and hours of interviews for this. We had, we had, you know, I think Arpin at one point talked to Josh Georges, I want to say, talked to him at least two or three times and for a total of probably two hours. And uh, I talked wow. to Mike Camilleri, um, and I probably will have another piece actually coming out on Camilleri um, at some point. Uh, the the he was incredibly generous and Gil was incredibly generous and Gianta was incredibly generous and you know Yara Halak and 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 Thomas Blakanitz and all these guys that we talked to were just incredibly generous with their time and uh, it was interesting Arpin and I were uh, and Marc Antoine were actually we were we were, we were um, talking about this on on the Athletics podcast today just about. All of us are kind of nostalgic for that team because mm-hmm. there were so many good talkers on that team. <laughs> From like Glenn Metropolit, who would like tell the wildest stories, like uh, some of them, some of them not necessarily for publication. And like you'd have, like, basically, up and down that lineup, you could walk into that room on any given day, not entirely sure what it was that you were going to do. And in the space of 15 or 20 minutes, Having had conversations that start randomly, you walk out with a notepad full of stuff. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm good for the week, right? And 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 so yeah, that was actually another very rewarding part of this process. And I think, you know, in a in a perfect world, I think we would have had a really long sit down with Carrie Price. We would have had a really long sit down with PK Subban and 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 people like that. Except that, like, you know, these guys are still they're still active players. It's it's a little bit more complicated for them, and so. I think, you know, dealing with the formers ended up being a little bit easier with this. But to answer your question more directly, uh, Dave, like it was it was it was a month of pretty intensive work. And we had planned this. Uh, We'd started talking about it in kind of January, probably Um, just in terms of like, okay, we should we should mark this. What are we going to do? I think we should do this. No, maybe we should do that. And we kind of had this idea of wanting to do it. Like, I don't know if you guys uh uh, there's a guy who writes for a site called Jason Jenks, who is uh, the absolute like ninja 
like <laughs> Superman of the oral history. He's the guy who did the Boardman Gets Paid um, oral history with Kawhi Leonard when he was in college. He just did one oh, on wow. Tommy Lasorda. He just did one on Tommy Lasorda, which is intensely scatological, but very funny. <laughs> uh, the And so we originally thought, oh, we should do it as an oral history, except that it sort of lended itself and sort of didn't. And so we've got elements of oral history in our story, but we figured that you know, we, we, we ultimately settled on this form, I want to say about a month ago and, and really stepped up the efforts. And like the last week has just been a sprint to try and get it to publication. Well, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. I don't know if they say that Murphy's, but it's an incredible <laughs> article. Like I said, um, I've only I think I'm about halfway through it. And it's just it is a, it's an engrossing narrative. So not only because of the wealth of knowledge that is in the uh, the article with all the people that you have uh, talking about it, it's just such such an incredible story too. And I think it's uh, early on in the article too. You mentioned that that uh, the the 2010 playoff run really excited a fan base to the point to like levels that uh you know haven't really been felt in a long time in Montreal. And uh, it really captures oh, all of it. It's, it's an incredible piece of work. Ab, and you know what? That, that to me is also like uh, in, in some of the some of the comments uh, and we try to reply to as many comments as, as, as is feasible. I mean, it's not we can't always reply to everybody. But like the there were so many people who were like, hey, that was, you know, either that's when I became a fan or that's when I, I rediscovered my interest in the team or. I geez, I remember the town and how it felt or, you know, people we I was I was in Washington. I remember that people, you know, people talk about you bring up Halak and people look at you. It's like Rick Monday. Right. And 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 <laughs> oh all that God. stuff. And I think like there was a there was a cultural moment there, um, yeah. which was profound. And there have been other moments. I mean, I, I think the, the the 2014 run to me, the series against Boston. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was a high point. And like the even even like the, you know, even the like the 2011, the the series against Boston that year as well. And like there have been like moments of intense, intense feeling. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, like the, the I, I don't think anybody's toppled cop cars and set fire to dumpsters like the way they did in 2010. And 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 and, and honestly, like the. Just the the way, and at one point, Cam Larry uh, encapsulates it really well in, in the story. Where he basically, like, at one point, he he just he felt like he needed to experience this. So he got in. He's getting in his car, and he would do this regularly. He'd get in his car, and he would after games, and he would drive around the city, right, just to feel the vibe, right, just to go outside, like just drive by the sports bars and various other clubs and various things, and just just to try and 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 soak in just the, the the incredible energy that the city had back then and like you know you had you had you had buses like the numbers on the buses like the the flashing boards on the front of the bus it's like yeah. go have to go and 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 like cop cars all the police cars were like they all had their canadians flag flying out the back window you know like it was it was everywhere and it was you know the halak stop signs and all that stuff and it turns out yarrow has one of those uh in his house <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. I love that part. That made me laugh so hard. Perfect. Yero was great, and 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 it's interesting because when Yero was here, I mean Yero, Yero, uh, uh, we never know these guys as people, right? We sort of do, but not really. And in some cases, you get to know them a little bit better than others. And after they stop playing, that's when you really get to know them as people. And and Yero, uh, when he was here, wasn't like he was kind of 
he was about his own, like not, not, not in a selfish way, but he was like, he was focused on the job and he wasn't really preoccupied with talking to the media and he would do it on occasion, but he always felt like he would rather be doing something else on stuff. Well, in the case, in this particular case and about this stuff, it turns out that like he was happy to talk and the stuff that he, that he, and it was back on to do that interview and he, he did oh, a, a long interview with him where he, he was really actually like, you could tell that it like that, that year is still very is still very important to him on a personal level and he's talked about it as being the highlight of his career which is interesting this is a guy who's you know been no to a cup final kidding. and a guy who's been to who's set team records in other franchises and, and all that stuff who's had a pretty good career uh quite honestly since he left here but it's like there was something really uh, visceral about about that year no kidding you know it's funny we um mentioning Halak because it makes me think about uh, a game <clears throat> shoot what the heck was it the oh what was it the the world cup of hockey when it was uh yeah. hosted in montreal we had team europe yeah. i think i went to go see the team europe versus team north america, north america. one of the oh, one yeah. of the exhibition <laughs> it was an exhibition match though but yeah oh, it was okay the, all right it was the monster Still. twins, right? <laughs> and no, but the thing is, I remember uh, Team North America was just flummoxing Team Europe. So they pull uh, their main goalie, and who's their backup? It's uh, Halak, right? So yeah. Halak takes the ice in Montreal, and he got a standing ovation at the exhibition match. You know what I mean? It was oh, it yeah. was just something else. It was really cool, you know, sitting there. You know, it's an exhibition match. I'm like in the lower bowl and people are just going crazy all around me for Halak taking the ice. I thought that was really cool, but it just goes to show, uh, geez, that was uh, that was two years ago. So eight years on, Halak still has such a big, uh, you know, following and, uh, you know, respect in the city. Oh, yeah. And, and like and it's interesting because one of the other things that I find when you look back and th this was. I mean, I guess I knew it, but it just reinforced, like, you look back and, and, and when you actually see the greater context of what people like Brian Gionta uh, meant to this team and a guy like Gomez, who was vilified um, and not entirely unfairly, but what he meant to this team and a guy like Ganey and the decisions that he made and then Jacques Martin and, and you know, Hal Gill and Mike Camilleri and Josh Georges and like it just go down the list of all these players, uh, you know, Thomas Placanitz, Andre Kostitz and all, the, all these guys. And, and like, it's interesting because I, I think from 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 with the benefit of a little bit of distance, uh, you kind of realize that there were people in that room who were probably more important than we presumed that they were at the time. And to me, that's a benefit as well from all of this. And I think, you know, I think Cam Larry scored more goals in uh, in that playoff than all but two players in franchise history. Uh, yeah. Those two players, those two players being Frank Mohavlich, who's in the Hall of Fame, uh, and and Ivan Cornoyer, also in the Hall of Fame, and like ahead of Beliveau and Rocket and Lafleur and all these guys. He was the guy in that in that playoff offensively, no question about it. Except Brian Gionta also scored a pantload of goals and was just a great player in that series, or in those two series particularly. I mean, the Philadelphia series, it's the sort of thing where by that point they were just so banged up, and 
losing Andre Markov uh, against against Pittsburgh, I think completely torpedoed. Like you can you can patch that over for a certain amount of time, but inevitably, uh, if you're having to run out Marc Andre Bergeron with a torn ACL, uh, bad things are going to happen. And so the the those those guys though, and like and like Gianta's role in that, and Gill's role in that, and and George's role, and just these guys were really interesting figures and important players. Um, and it's like, I'm singling those guys out because they're the most prominent in the story, but you could, you could, you could, you could point to a whole bunch of other people like Andre Markov. Uh, yeah. uh, that season was unbelievably good. And he'd been injured for a, a time and that, that sort of marked the Matt cook thing in the first period in game one uh, that marked kind of the, 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 that, those two lost years, which probably have cost him uh, a spot, if not in the Hall of Fame, pretty close to it. Like he would have been, he would have, he would have finished with something very close to Sergey Gonchar numbers on much worse teams. Um, and and you know those guys, you know Gary Suter type numbers, like those guys are are Hall of Fame, as I say, adjacent or cusp of. Um, and I, you know, Markov to me is like a, a, a stunningly important piece of this team's recent history. And, uh, he was great that year. And so I, I just like, I like that from the, from the, from the perspective of looking back, it's interesting to kind of see how some people's stature grows. Right. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it's a fun exercise in that, in that regard. Without a doubt. I will never, I, I'll, I'll never forget <laughs> that losing to Philadelphia, the feeling. I was so sure they were going to be That's in the funny. final. It's funny. Like, I, Philly was a bad matchup that year for them. They, yeah. they had trouble with them all year, except that I remember thinking beforehand and uh, getting into an argument with a friend of mine who works for La Presse, who's a huge Flyers fan, um, and and uh, uh, he doesn't cover hockey. He... Uh, He's uh, and and he was telling me he's like there is no there is no way to withstand this onslaught. I'm like, dude, your team has Michael Layton and that. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and and it's interesting. Uh, and this didn't make it into the story, but it, it's interesting because I was as I was reviewing a lot of the footage from that series from the Philly uh, from the Philly series. At one point, I want to say it's in game two. Um, where Montreal ends up getting shut out in game two, uh, if I'm not mistaken. There were three shutouts in that series. Um, anyway, I think I think it was either this. I think it was the second game. Cause they ended up it was either the second game or the third game. Cause they ended up winning the fourth game and then being eliminated in the fifth on the road. And so, uh, I want to say it was early in the series. I don't think it was the first game. I think it was the second one. So, it, yeah, it was because it was in Philadelphia. So, Camilleri ends up on the power play. Ends up getting a shot from the right dot, and it's the kind of look that was going in right in the first two series mm -hmm. and he gets this great shot off and it's the perfect spot and he's almost celebrating like before before the is, reaches the net and oh. and Leighton Leighton moves from his right to his left basically like I would move from my right to my left and I've <laughs> never I've never actually put pads on in my life okay like the the it was awkward and ungainly and slow and ugly 
and he get and and the puck hits him, and he makes the save. And I talked to the I, I said this to 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 Mike. I said, you know, do you remember that that moment? Like you get like he's like, yeah. He goes, it happens. You know, he goes, I don't really remember specifically or whatever. And I said, you know, and then Leighton comes across and he didn't he didn't I don't think he even realized that he made the save, but he, it just went off him right. He got in the way. And and Camilleri's answer was great. He's like, I'm not giving him that credit. <laughs> Ten, years <later. laughs> Ten years later, I'm not giving him that credit. No, like, I should have made a, I should have made a better shot. My God. And it's like, and which I think it tells you a lot about 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 his mentality uh, as an athlete. But uh, the the uh, like when stuff like that starts happening, and Hal Gill had kind of mentioned it as well. He's like, you know weird goals start to go in and you're like, well, wait a second here. That went in like what? Right. Cause that hadn't happened. And so, um, yeah, like the, the, it, it ended on a, on a, on a kind of a downbeat note, except that when you consider what they were able to do, um, playing 14 games in 27 days, um, and beating one of the better regular season teams of the last probably 20 years, uh, in the first round, and then taking out the defending cup champions yeah. with prime Crosby, prime Latang, prime Malkin, prime Flurry, all of them healthy. Um, you know, prime Jordan Stahl, like they, they were stacked, they were absolutely stacked. They were a terrifying team, and they thought they had that series one, except Montreal played them real tough, and like to me. The, the going through that process for a lot of the younger guys who are still in the organization and then like basically now there's only one it's, it's price um, like there is no carry price without that year um, carry price as we know him there is no PK Subban obviously as we know him without that year uh, yeah. There is no Max Pacioretty. All of these guys, like the Pacioretty people forget, like Max Pacioretty played 50 games for the Canadians that season. And he started the year on the top line uh, with Gomez and Gianta and ended up going to the minors. And then the following year was when he gave the infamous interview to Tony Marinero, where he said, I yeah. think I'd rather just stay in the minors, which is actually brilliant. Um, and so like, but none of that happens without that context. None of it happens without, the huge overhaul in the summer of 2009 where Ganey basically decides to say goodbye to 10 members of the previous year's team, which had been the number two team in the conference, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or in the division, certainly. And like, yeah, like, so, so it was actually a really formative season and a really formative playoff. And I can remember being in Philly at one point and price was not, he was not in a good spot. And we were in the room and uh, the, I was a bunch of me and a couple other guys um, and Price is talking to one of them. I think it was Louis um, now with TVA. And he was basically just, they were just bantering or whatever. And, and Price said something effective, like, this is, this is like, this is the hardest month of my life. And he just, he wanted to be there. He wanted to play. Um, and he couldn't really complain because and he never, I mean, he wouldn't have anyway, but like, you know, Yarrow was being good and he's, he's, he wants to be a good teammate, but it's extremely frustrating. And it's like, you know, I remember we're in the room and it's like Ben Maxwell, remember him? Ben Maxwell's like stuffing his pockets with like, uh, with hoagies or not. Or no, it was like, a, it was cheesesteaks, cheesesteak sandwiches <laughs> and something like that. And, 
and like and Bryce is kind of looking at him going okay I think I'd like to do that but I think you know what I think I might I might just go back out on the ice instead and it was like (laughs) there was a there was like a a uh there was a lot of emotion and a lot of uh trial there and it was hard uh for him that season and the end of it particularly um and I think it made him it helped make him it helped make him what he is and because I think he he reached a decision about his own game and about how he wanted to play and who he wanted to be. Um, and, and yeah, like that was, that was really, I think the, the step back that you take in order to take two steps forward. And um, yeah, so like that was, that was one of the other kind of through lines of all of this is the, the chemistry experiment that they, that they made um, with the club and trying all these new things and these new players and all these free agent signees and trades and so forth. Um, and, and basically going all in to see what would happen. And it almost did happen for them. And I think that that was, uh, it was a very important year for what followed, not just in 2014, but even, I think you feel the reverberations even through to today. Absolutely. Uh, Markov gave Carrie Price a talking to, wasn't that the year? Yeah, it was the year. That was the the the, uh, the St. Louis game. So, what's interesting about that is it's a it's a game in January, and I don't remember the date off the top of my head. I want to say January twentieth, two thousand and ten, and something like that. And so, <laughs> that game it's a game at the Bell Center, uh, and I remember that game because um, I, I think I, I think I was there that night. And 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 so early in the game, I was definitely there that night. Early in the game, uh, the puck comes down the ice, and uh, Price decides for reasons known best to himself, that he's going to play the puck by the sideboards, but it's like near the top of the circles. And the four checker is coming in, and the four checker is Cam Jansen, who is the tough guy. And they collide, and Price <laughs> just windmills. Like, he, he got hit like you don't see goalies get hit anymore. Yeah. And he got up, and he was mad, and he wanted to fight and it's like no this is the tough guy and it was just like this anyway it was it was this really weird scene and so in the in the background to all of this Jacques Martin that night had decided to dress Ryan O'Byrne oh yeah Marc-Andre Bergeron and was playing them on or was playing at least one of them I think they were taking turns one of them was playing on the wing and they decided like he did that and put Georges Laroque in the press box and that was the end for Laroque. Like that was the decision had probably already been made by them. But like, so that was the game where he, where Jacques basically says, we do not need this guy even against this team. And of course, tough right. guy running around, runs the franchise goalie, et cetera, et cetera. And so by this point, Halak has essentially become the starter. It's not entirely cemented, but it's basically, he's playing more games now than Price yeah. is. And, and so, this goes on. They end up losing that game in overtime. Uh, Price has been extremely fiery and all that. And then in the tunnel, uh, Markov says to him, look, you need to play with heart and with, and with effort and dedication and concentration. And this isn't about you. And if you're not going to be able to play like this, then why don't you just go home? Because we don't need you. And I'm paraphrasing. That's you know, Markov. That's Markov's, how I remember uh, it too. 
Markov's Markov's uh, Markov his communication would have been probably <laughs> a bit more swearing and direct and heavily accented. But anyhow, um, and they both talked about that moment. Like, and it wasn't the sort of thing where like, and, and it's interesting because when we kind of surveyed everybody about that, do you remember that? And most of them didn't. And I think it happened in, in a kind of a very quiet moment uh, in the tunnel. It was basically almost one-on-one. And there might've been like, I think George has remembered it, but there were a lot of those guys were just like, yeah, you know what? No, it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't really ring a bell, but it's not entirely <laughs> surprising. And so, yeah. but like, that's part of it. Right. And then what happens later in that year in the playoffs, Sergei Kostitsin, they're playing in Pittsburgh. Uh, Sergei Kostitsin is one of the, is one of the black aces and, and patently feels that he should have been uh, on the ice and he'd played in the Olympics for Belarus that year and was, was mm-hmm. like, you know, he was a guy who'd, who'd, uh, who considered himself an NHL player at that point. And, and, you know, that was a tough year for him. That was the same training camp in, in 2000 and, uh, 2009, where he ended up missing a bus. He missed a bus to go to Quebec city for an exhibition game. And anyway, the, uh, the, the, he's on the black aces and, and they, they come back in, uh, to the room. And the way it works is that the, the, the players who are playing that night, uh, come off after, I don't know, 35, 40 minutes. And then players who aren't including the black aces who are the guys called up for the minors they end up they end up practicing for another 40 minutes or so and so uh they come back in and kostitsin's basically taken off all his gear and price walks in and he's like what are you doing what are you doing get your ass back out on the ice like if you want to play in this league this is how this is how you have to do it and he just basically ripped them in front of everybody like in front of the media and all that stuff and he didn't do it to make a show. I mean, he was just, he was mad. And, <laughs> and by that point, he was a different player already because he knew uh, how fragile it is. And, and, you know, his view of it was that Kostinsa probably didn't care. And um, as it turns out, he was probably right about yeah. that. And they had that Sergei worry about them. Sergey was, was out of the league. I mean, then he got traded to, uh, to, to, was it Nashville? Uh, and then there was the infamous shift change mm, in Edmonton. Yep. And, like basically he's never mm-hmm. been seen from Francisco. Both those guys are still playing by the way. Um, anyhow, um, in the continental, in the continental. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, I shouldn't say that actually, maybe Sergey's not anymore, but Andre, Andre played this year. So like the, 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 the way that the way that prices kind of character, uh, developed, over that season and late in that season and moments like that. Um, I think it, it, it ended up bringing out the best in him. And I, and I think that's to his immense credit because I think there are players who might've, um, who might've taken that to seem to be sort of like, okay, maybe my, maybe my road, maybe my road needs to take me elsewhere, but he never, he never wavered from that. Um, and, and I think, I think that's really interesting, particularly in, in light of, of, of who he's become. I've always I I I remember that story was kind of just a rumor and then he himself um confirmed it to Elliot Friedman yeah. I think it was the following year right Yeah um, basically yeah And just after watching I don't want to go too far astray but just after watching the last dance with Michael Jordan and like I mean even that kind of thing like people I think that 
the public at large gets out their fainting couches every time they hear that there's been any kind of a discussion like this between teammates, but that's what teammates do, right? It, yeah, I, I, I never so. thought I mean, it was I, that big of a deal. I think they're like, it, I think that's changing to some degree. I think that um, you don't necessarily need to take the kind of hard ass approach to get the best out of people anymore. And right. probably you never did, but that's, that is the culture of the, that is the culture of the sport certainly. Yeah. And especially in, in the late, in the, like sort of the, the previous decade, right? Like the, the first decade of the century, I think was still very much an old school mentality. And I, I think like I saw, I saw some of that uh, last dance stuff and it's like, it's a good thing. Jordan was a really good player because. Uh, <laughs> holy, holy. What do you smokes. mean? <laughs> like, holy smokes. Was he, did he, did that not look like, did that just not look like a fun place to work? Like, I'm sorry. Like Scotty Pippen is, Scotty Pippen's probably about ninety five percent as good as Jordan was. Yeah, and was like and was like the errand boy. Like, yeah, come on, man. Um, the 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 thing is that yeah, I, and I I will say this though that yes, I think that there are there are benefits to direct communication, and I think that in the context of the sport and the time and all that other sort of stuff, sure, like it's. And, and and I do think that um, these are these are people who are extremely competitive. These are people who are extremely tough. Uh, yeah. Even 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 the wimpiest NHL player um, is, by the standards of everyday life, uh, like an incredible warrior. Right. I mean, the word warrior gets overused, but honestly, like these, that's the mentality that these guys have. And I think that the the way that they will communicate among each other isn't necessarily uh, um, well understood or appreciated by people outside that milieu. And I think when you grow up in it and, and the way that the way that that works and, and like, it's interesting because there is, there is that element of, of accountability, which is the word that they always use for that stuff. Accountability essentially in a hockey dressing room is shorthand for uh, yelling at guys, right? And and <laughs> and so they do that, um, and and they're direct, and they then they will they can be they can be very uh, catty and criticize people uh, on a personal level sometimes. But the point is that it's always in furtherance of the goal, right? Now the other thing that's interesting that I learned more about in this in the reporting of this and in the writing of this story, particularly because a lot of this stuff wasn't necessarily the focus of the interviews that I did, but the, the, the role that Scott Gomez played in that team, which was mm-hmm. um, the role of, of, yeah, there's going to be the accountability and the old school hard assy stuff, but there's also going to be the element of community, right? And the element of, of togetherness and the element of everyone has their place here, right? There is no, there may be, there may be a pecking order, but um, the distance between the top of that pecking order and the bottom of that pecking order is not especially relevant. Uh, everybody here wears the same shirt, jersey. And so we were all brothers, right? And so Gomez was that guy. He was the guy who arranged dinners and who would uh, make sure that a new guy who came into the room felt comfortable, who would arrange uh, social 
situations like uh, Mike Camilleri at one point told me because I, I did a thing where basically I, I went down the lineup for a lot of the lesser known players and this didn't end up making it in the story. But I sort of said, OK, we're going to do a speed round. You're going to give me one sentence on all these guys. And I, one of the guys I asked him about was Benoit Pouliot. And he's like, well, you know what? Benoit Pouliot is actually a super nice guy. And he says, quiet guy, but amazing personality when you get to know him. And he said, and Gomez was like Gomez. He was like Gomez was his guy. Gomez, he made sure that Benoit Pouliot was part of the gang, right? And and they hung out together at Gomez's house because they lived in the same building or nearby or whatever it was. And Camille lived across the street. And so there was a there was an element of the uh, the social glue uh, while that was Gomez's department. He had the big bottle of it. And so you had that element of of uh, creating a social setting. And it's the sort of stuff that Weber uh, is known for now. It's very different yeah. guys. But like there's a there's there's that there's that caring element, right? Um, of 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 the of the piece. And that was very much part of it as well. And that was the sort of thing where it gets paid forward, right? You find yourself as a result of seeing that. That's how that's how Josh Georges ends up, for example having Brendan Gallagher live in his basement for two years, right? right. That's how you end up uh, having team dinners and, and people looking after uh, each other for parties and, you know, whatever it is, like, uh, you know, birthdays and so forth and kids and et cetera, right? Um, yeah. And, and that was, a, that was a, an, an element that was hidden from view. I think that at the time... I, nobody ever had a bad word to say about Gomez, which I always thought was really interesting because he had some very, very low periods on the ice uh, playing yeah. here, uh, which I think had to do with a bunch of different things, mostly, I think, age, quite frankly. Um, and and the fact that he had accomplished basically everything you set out to accomplish as a hockey player. Um, and he was financially secure and all that stuff. But mm. the point is that no one ever had a bad thing to say about him. Uh, even when things were not good for him personally, nobody ever complained about him even even quietly uh, as far as his ice time and power play, et cetera. Uh, and I think it's because he was uh, such a, a, a central figure in the social culture and fabric of that room. And that's not something that we knew at the time. So now we have a better feel for it. And um you know that that to me is interesting as well because it, it's it's the companion to the harder edged stuff um, about really sort of saying this is how it's going to be. And the other thing that I think that 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 people should really um, come away from this with is this. Uh, and this we didn't know this either, right? Essentially, what had happened at one point when they were down three one against Washington. Um, Coaches basically said to them, like, not in so many words, but coaches essentially said, look, we've done what we can. Like, if you guys want to do this, then you got to figure out how you want to do it. And and it wasn't, you know, Gil talked about it and he said it wasn't so much that they were washing their hands. It was just like, you guys need to step up. You guys need to make this about you. And so they did. They basically coached one another and came up with solutions as a group. And Mike Camilleri called it the most collaborative effort that he's ever seen uh, in a hockey room, because generally speaking, it's 
it's it's it's workplace right the boss tells yeah. you this is what you're going to do and so this is what you do and that really wasn't how it was and and that was something that they had decided clearly this was not an accident this was not a desperation move it was something that they that Jacques Martin and Perry Pern and Kirk Muller evidently had said well listen we need to put the onus on the guys and uh they did and they responded which was very interesting to me uh and that's not something that's very typical i don't think of a of a hockey room i have a lot of difficulty i mean i think i think the world of claude julien i think he's a he's a really nice man and i think he's a really good hockey coach i cannot imagine any world in which claude julien <laughs> says okay boys i've done what i can over to you um, <laughs> no <laughs> and, 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 and so, yeah, like to me, like there, there's, there's, there's all these elements, these interesting elements of stuff that happened that year with that group of guys. And, and when you look at it, like everything is clear in hindsight, right? Everything, everything makes sense in retrospect. Everything is predictable in retrospect, except that mm-hmm. when you look at it, like it, you can really see, you can see kind of line, direct lines between points uh, in 2020 and 2010. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. God, what a year that was. <laughs> and we need people like you and others at The Athletic to put those lines together for the rest of us, because who would have known, you know, yeah. for certainty what had went on yeah. uh, during that entire season and the playoffs. So it's it's well, it's incredible. And, and I think, you know, we 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 figured that there was probably a there there, but we didn't know necessarily until we actually got into it what we were going to get from it so uh which is also a lot of fun right like you you we yeah. we had as much fun learning and talking about this stuff amongst ourselves as 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 we're having now talking about it it was yeah it's kind of cool well just we as long as you had awesome. fun yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's awesome it is we great should try to touch on the the playoff what might happen with the Habs in the playoffs if we have yeah, them. we can do that. So, so like, uh, it's, I, yeah, that's I, gonna be the I, next I, thing. I am mystified. I have to say, I am mystified um, by the the level of the apparent level, I should say, because I, I, you know, we need to be careful uh, about yeah. representing about representing the actual reality, which we don't necessarily know. But right. the apparent, the apparent improvisation that's going on here like this is just not really how the nhl rolls and i think it's interesting on a bunch of different levels and i think it reveals that there are lots of arguments that aren't settled and i think it reveals that there are lots of people exerting pressure uh behind the scenes and i would imagine that jeff molson is one of them um Mm. and and just trying to figure out how they're going to do this and and i think that the latest news about, well, the draft could be on June 20 or the draft lottery could be on June 26th before the before the season kind of resumes and all this stuff. I just find like it's just it it just there's these wild swings, right, of the the draft is going to be June 5th. No, now it's not. Now it's going to be this. It's going to be that. Yeah. And so I have no idea what to think of this and it's or what to make of this. And I think it's great. I think like it's it's team chaos. It's fantastic. Um. Except what we do know is the players have voted on essentially a 16 a 16 team playoff format where you're going to have another 16 teams actually battle it out for uh, for eight of the spots. And so 
eight teams that have a bye, presumably four in each conference, and then you have the others do the play-in thing, and the Canadians, it would seem, are going to be doing that. And, and I think that we can probably take for we can take for granted that that's going to happen. So I think the Canadians are not a play-off team yet, but they're a play-in team. And that's that's nuts. Like, that's why. I wouldn't have guessed that there was any way for their season to continue. There's just, like, there just wasn't, right? Uh, so like, the eight game, the second eight-game losing streak, I think that was it. And, and so here we are. And um, I think a lot of people, myself included, would probably, if we were calling the shots, much prefer to have uh, a four and a half or a three and a half or a four percent chance, whatever it is, two and a half, three percent chance of getting Alexi Lafreniere than uh, playing three games or five games against Pittsburgh uh, or whoever. Uh, oops, sorry about that. Something fell here. Um, and 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 then and then run the risk of picking, you know, if they win, run the risk of picking twelfth or fourteenth or fifteenth or eighteenth or whatever. And um, but at the same time, it's it's they're going to be in the play-ins, right? Uh, yeah. Which is kind of yeah. cool. And I think when you look at that, and that was kind of the the, the reflection uh, that that we had over the weekend uh, in terms of, of of what this means. Like, I think there's a lot of people, and it's come up on several occasions. There's a lot of people who are looking at this and saying, "Well, listen, it's not especially fair to teams that were." essentially assured of a playoff position to have to deal with, for example, a hot carry price and a guy who can on his own steal a playoff series. And my question to that was, okay, well, when's the last time he actually did that? <laughs> and it's not, it's not to hack on, on, on carry. It's just that that doesn't really happen anymore. Like it, it, it can happen occasionally and you could make arguments maybe that Sergei Bobrovsky helped steal the series uh, for Columbus against Tampa last year, but I don't think he did. Like he was good. I don't think, but I don't like, I, uh, you know, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think he was otherworldly. I, I think like, I, and so like you look back and it's like, well, when did, when's the last time price actually did that? And I think the last time he did it was probably 2014 against Boston. And, and so that's a long time ago. <laughs> and, yeah. And like, a couple of knee injuries ago and all this. And I thought to myself, okay, does it really make sense that, that the Canadians, that the only reason people would be fearful of a team like the Canadians in a short series is their goaltending. And it, and, and that just doesn't hold water. There are lots of reasons uh, to be wary of Montreal. And I think that it starts with the fact that they're a tremendous team at five on five, uh, mm-hmm. statistically, one of the absolute best in the league. And the, the, that's that's just that's not going to go away um and that is a really good predictor of 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 playoff success generally speaking um yeah yeah, they don't have the elite scoring that the penguins do but they're a really good five on five team and the thing is that they're going to be healthy uh they've got they've got tatar dano and gallagher who are absolutely one of the five best lines in the league uh they've got a lot of a lot of speed up front. Uh, they have some youth up front. I mean, I'd be very interested to see Nick Suzuki after three months of rest, uh, mental rest, probably more than physical rest. Like he's a good player. He's, mm-hmm. he's the second line center on this team now at age 20. And uh, I don't know, like you expand the rosters, 
you look at this and you think to yourself, yeah, of course, they're not going to go anywhere if Price is bad, but they don't need him to be 2014-15 carry Price. Exactly. Uh, in order in order to, to, to do some damage here. And so we can argue about whether that's a good thing. I, I don't think it's a good thing. I, I actually think that the worst possible outcome would be for Montreal to win the play-ins and then win a round and take themselves out of the top 10 in the draft um, because they're going to need it. They're going to need two years from now. They're going to need the player that they're going to get in the top 10. If, if, if the natural draft order holds uh, the way it should be, because there's going to be some really, really, really good players in the top 10 this year. Um, but at the same time, how can you argue with this? Because this is what players want. This is what they play for. This is what they live for. Uh, you're going to need to get some playoff experience for the people who don't have much. For example, like Max Domi's never played an NHL playoff game. Yeah. I mm-hmm. suspect he's going to be a relatively good playoff player, but I don't know. We don't know. We don't know until we see it. Um, Phil Deneau's got six games experience in the playoffs. Uh, Thomas Tatar, uh, I think, has played 25 games in the playoffs, none in the last five Well, sorry, he played He played eight games for, for, for Vegas, but, you know, didn't do very much. Like, there's a, you go down the list. There's all these there's all these players who don't have a ton of experience in those situations and in those roles, right? The Ben Chirots of the world, the Petries, the you know the Victor Metes, obviously, and and so you find yourself in a situation where there's probably a benefit um, in terms of the development of the actual group that you have, the current group that you have. Um, but yeah, I think I think generally speaking, it would be better for all concerned if if um, if the season had just ended and they would have picked eighth or whatever and had a chance to move up. Um, this being said, look, I, I, you know, I'm, 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 it's, it's very easy for me to say all of this stuff because I don't really, I don't have any skin in the game. I'm not, I'm not Jeff Molson. I'm not looking at my broadcast partners and saying, uh, geez, guys, I really wish we could have some more games for you, but we're not going to have any, you know, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 34 year old Shea Weber saying, uh, yeah, do you mind uh, actually letting me play in the postseason here? Because <laughs> I don't know how many more of these I have left. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not Nick Suzuki. I'm not, you know, uh, general manager. I, I, it's, and, and so, uh, I'm not, I'm not one of you guys who I think would very much probably like to see playoff team quite frankly or play or a play in team. And so, (laughs) uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a very weird, uh, situation. I think that, um, if you had asked me whether the Canadians would make the playoffs, um, in February, I would have said that it would require a miracle or an act of God, and here we are. <laughs> right? there, it, yeah, it, it happened. <laughs> we asked for it, and it happened. <laughs> oh you no! Know, I think I think everyone would prefer that the circumstances were different. Clearly, yes. but uh, you know, at the same time, uh, this is the hand you're dealt. And so, uh, if if you're gonna if you're going to go down this road now, um, I mean. Is 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 the idea of having a play-in possibility and perhaps a playoff possibility that follows that um, appropriate compensation for not uh, for for potentially losing your draft slot? I would again argue that it isn't, but I'm prepared. I'm prepared to acknowledge that there are lots of people who feel differently, and and I don't think there's anything wrong with with that argument either. So. Um, I don't know. I guess we'll see. I think it's going to be interesting to see. And, and, and 
like I said, I mean, I, I went through the thought experiment of, okay, if, if you took price off the table, what are the five best reasons um, that, uh, that they could beat Pittsburgh? And it's kind of a neat tie-in with the other stuff, right, about 2010, because it was more or less a similar situation. Nobody gave them a chance. I mean, I didn't give them a chance. I thought they were going to lose. I talked to Cam Larry before the Washington series, and he asked me, uh, what do you think? And I said, I think you guys can be Washington. And I told you, why, and I'll tell you why, because they had played Washington really tough that year. And just because they, they were wilier and had that experience, right? Washington at that point, um, you know, Bruce Boudreaux was coaching them, guy who ran really hot. Uh, they had a lot of really talented players, but nobody who had really been there. And um, I think they had one guy on the roster who had won a cup. And Montreal had like five. Um, and they were they were coached by another guy who was a lot cooler customer and he was a defensive coach and all this stuff. And I just sort of thought I thought that was a bad matchup for the Caps. Um, and and I ended up being right. And then Cam Cam Larry said to me after that, he's like, OK, you know, you called that one. <laughs> uh, what do you think about the next one? And I told him, I said, I think you guys are going to get stomped. I don't think you guys have a hope in hell. <laughs> Sean. So then after so then after the Pittsburgh series, he comes to me and he says, I'm done, I'm done asking you for your prediction. <laughs> and and so uh I don't know. Like I, I don't know. It's 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 the sort of thing where when you actually look at it from a hockey perspective and start thinking about this, um I can come up. I surprised myself by being able to come up with five reasons that I think are relatively compelling for why Montreal could beat Pittsburgh. And and I'm not saying it's going to happen, uh, but I don't think anybody could be uh, could be stunned uh, anymore if it did. Just given the way that given the way that this team can play when things are going well, and particularly when you consider that there's going to be a lot of very healthy bodies all of a sudden. Yes. And, and you're going to have a, a group of probably 30 players um, because they're going to end up having to have expanded rosters. Um, to forestall the possibility of injuries and 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 people who test positive for COVID-19, and so um, I think you're in a situation where when you look at the the 30 best players that the Canadians can put forward, uh, assuming everybody's healthy, there's pretty there's pretty good players there. I mean, and we're not even talking about Jesperi Kotkaniemi, who I I'm not entirely sure. There's a very weird kind of omerta about his injury. Um, I, the, the, I don't know. I don't know that yeah. we can count on him coming back, except that he's training again apparently uh, oh. in Finland. And yeah, apparently he's like yep. he's working out. Um, he's working out. I don't think he's working out on the ice, although he might be. Um, I thought I said mm-hmm. I mean, something about him skating. Yeah, you know, and and like, and I think it's it's one of those things where all of a sudden, uh, if like if he's able to play um, it's a pretty good guy to be able to turn to if you need him. Um, and again, that's a guy that you would probably want to try and find some, find some ice time for in, in a playoff type atmosphere. Yeah. Even though this is going to be the strangest playoff ever guys, it's going to be played yes. in front of no fans. It's oh, going to be yeah. in buildings. It's going to be in, in neutral buildings, the broadcast. I mean, I, I've, 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 uh, I've watched uh, some Korean baseball on Pirate Vision, and uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm kind of into it now. Uh, it took a little while, um, but it's and it's like it's it's going to be far away from here. Uh, by which I mean Montreal. Um, it's it's not going to feel like any playoff that uh, that 
any of us have ever watched except that I don't know necessarily that, that you can tell an NHL player that it's not a playoff and they're going to approach it very much the same way that they do a regular playoff. And I think in terms of the intensity of the game on the ice, because they will tell you this, they don't really feel the crowd. Like you feel it in kind of a background fashion, like listening to music in the background, you know, it's there. But that's not your focus. Your focus is on the intensity of the moment and on what's happening in front of you on the ice. And I think that feeling 100%. will probably be something very close to it. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it has the potential to either be like exhibition season hockey uh, uh, or or more likely, I think, kind of like November, December hockey with everybody healthy. And I think that means that it could actually be really good. Mm-hmm. I'm totally for that thought and i want to mention two names that we hadn't mentioned for the canadiens is drewen and byron being healthy yeah. as well is going to be yep. huge huge for those yep. guys i'm i, think it makes, I would uh, not be shocked if they take pittsburgh to task honestly because so, they've had success with them in the past and uh it'd be it's going to be fun to watch regardless like i think so if, if you look at the way it sets up right like drewen is probably a third line player uh, in the playoffs or the play-ins, I should say. I need to correct myself. Like the framing, the framing <laughs> is all wrong. Like I, I have old, I have very old habits. I'm an old guy with old habits, and and so the the like Drouin is probably a third line player at this point uh, as the as as they look forward, um, and like that's a real luxury to have because this is also a guy who I think had come back. He wasn't obviously yeah. feeling great. And this is an injury like the, and it's a bit with, it's a bit of a similar situation with Byron. Like Byron's injury before Christmas uh, was to the parts of his body that make Byron Byron. And, and Drouin's injury is to a part of his body that makes Drouin Drouin. And so if your hands don't feel right, and, and I don't know if anyone here has ever had wrist surgery, like it's not fun. And it you just don't feel right and so the 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 added months the two and a half months or whatever it is of more physio and exercise and all the stuff that presumably he's off doing on his own uh, and even just rest um mm-hmm. i think makes a huge difference like if he comes back and he's feeling instead of feeling like 75 percent of a jonathan drawing he's feeling 90 percent of a jonathan drawing or more uh, then, then that's, that's, that, that's a, that's a very good thing for him and for the team. And I think Byron, you could see when he did come back from the injury, he was Paul Byron again. And, yeah. and he's a very useful player. And particularly when you consider that like Pittsburgh's not an especially fast team. And so if you're rolling out a fourth line of Byron, Jake Evans and Jordan wheel, um, or Dale Weiss, if you move wheel up the lineup, whatever. Yeah, that's good. I love it. That's, that's an good. octane. And then if you're, yes. not, and if you're rolling out, and if you're rolling out a third line uh, of of Domi, Drouin, and Lekkinen, um, and then you're running out a second line uh, of uh, I don't know who who'd you put on the left. Actually, you know, you'd probably have to move that up. You'd move the order up because you'd have Suzuki yeah, with Armia yep. probably, mm-hmm. and then. Like and then and then you'd have and obviously the the regular guys on the top line and so you're moving guys around like maybe you put Domi on the second line or however you end up deciding to do it but 
that's a pretty good lineup. And I think you've, if you've got balance in that lineup, uh, as far as, as far as speed goes, which I think the Canadians do, uh, and then you consider that the road power play is actually really good. And, you know, again, these are the reasons that I, that I outlined in my column today, but it's like, and there are, we could surely come up with others if we talked about it, but <laughs> I think that you find yourself in a situation where this is actually going to be worth watching. Like there's no, there's no, there's no, absolutely. there's no sense. Yeah. There's, there's no sense that there's no sense that they're doomed. Um, they might be, no. but, uh, no. <laughs> but there's no, but there's no, there's no, there's no sense of it at this point. So yeah, you I just, think it's going to uh, be, need, we need to watch. You just touched on something super important and that I don't think anybody has mentioned is that the Habs will not be playing at home at all. Yes. Which yeah. makes it a completely <laughs> different team now. <laughs> oh my Lord. I think it, uh, I think it does. And, and like the, the, the interesting thing that's going to happen here. And I, I know that there's been talking, we've talked about the sort of the hub or magnet city thing. Um, mm. And that they've talked about possibly doing a four or four of them or something like that. I, I actually only, I think it only works if you do it with two um, because of the buys and things. And I think the way that yeah. they're going to end up having to do this, the way that they're going to end up having to do this is like, they're going to have to get those guys into those cities two weeks ahead of time. Right. So they can yes. quarantine. And so um, it's going to be really interesting because you're going to yeah. have, uh, it's going to, it's actually going to be a lot like the Olympics. Yes. And, and I think that that's kind of a neat subtext to all of this as well, because there are players who are used to that and there are players who have never done it or who haven't really done it since they played like, I don't know, like in the Quebec city peewee tournament or something. And so, and so you, you, you know, everybody together in a hotel like this um, happens from time to time. I mean, obviously in the regular season, but regular season travel and playoff travel are two very different things. And I think the 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 mentality of uh, road games for everybody except for one team uh, is going to be really interesting. And um, because I think unless unless they decide to take places, unless they decide to pick places where uh, there are no there are no playoff teams playing, it doesn't seem likely that that's going to be the case. Right. It, it seems as though it'd probably be someplace like Vegas or Edmonton in the West and. Uh, someplace like Columbus or Toronto uh, in the east, um, possibly Carolina or someplace like that. But like the the that's going to be an interesting uh, thing to follow as well, right? Because these guys are going to be very much taken out of their comfort zones um, in in that in that sense, but brought into another another type of comfort zone. And um, and uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really neat. I mean, look, I think we're still weeks and weeks and weeks away from knowing exactly what this is going to look like. I think they're going to. There's going to be, um, you know, my colleague Mike Russo talked to, uh, who's our, our man in uh, Minnesota. Dubnik. He talked to Dubnik today um, about about the fact that there are going to be follow-up votes, right? The Players Association is not giving anybody a blank check on this. And so they're going to have concerns and questions to address. And um, I, I still think probably that um, the season starts third week of July, second week of July, somewhere in there. Um, and then we'll have playoff hockey around the beginning of August, and uh, the cup will probably be awarded at some point in late September. And uh, maybe Canadian Thanksgiving time for the next season. Yeah, Canadian <laughs> Thanksgiving, and then they'll do, and then they'll do like a 40-day or, or 50-day off season uh, in November, 
Um, and I think if I were the NHL, I would do the, I would try and figure out a way to have a draft lottery before the season resumes to make sure that everybody has their draft slots and then hold the draft after the cup is awarded um, in the quote unquote off season. And I think you would then do your free agency um, in October. And uh, I think that, that would, that would bridge through to the beginning of the 2021 uh, 2020, 2021 season, uh, which would start end of November, beginning of December, um, and then stretch in probably stretch into July uh, of 2021. So I think uh, th- there's a calendar here that's starting to kind of take shape, uh, but there's a lot of different stuff that needs to happen because if you think, for example, I don't know, let's say for arguments that like Yoel Armia is in Finland, Yoel Armia comes back to Montreal tomorrow, well, he's going to have to shelter at home for. 14 days before you can go to the facility and uh that takes you into that takes you into the second week of june and so then uh he's going to skate for a while and then they're actually going to find out where they're playing so then they're going to have to go somewhere else where they're going to have to shelter in place for 14 days we'll be able to do it as a group uh and presumably continue doing their small group practices and doing all their testing and stuff but you're looking at you're looking at a month of quarantine no matter how you slice it so that takes you to the end of June. And uh, then they're going to want to have like a little mini training camp type things. And so I think the earliest you see hockey is the second week of July and more likely a little bit later than that. But and then they'll figure out ways to compress it uh, if need be. But it's going to be a little easier in the sense that there is no travel. Right. Like you're not yes. going to have to jump on a plane and play back to back game somewhere else. It's not going to happen. And so I think that makes it uh, a little bit easier as well. And everyone's going to be healthy. So. I don't know. I think I, I, I am. I have tons of questions about this stuff. I speak to all kinds of people in the hockey world who uh, are who think it's hilarious that I'm asking that question. Because like, listen, like you're, you know about as much as I do about any of this. And and there's so much stuff flying around out there. Um, and a lot of it uh, uh, is going to be dictated by places like Sportsnet, TV Spa, NBC Sportsnet um, in the U.S., uh, a lot of it is going to be dictated by by local conditions. If there are outbreaks in the cities that they want to go to, then they're probably not going to go there. And so you find yourself in this uh, in this crazy churn of news. But I think it's taken on a little different uh, tone in the last week or so. I think there's a there's a hopefulness that wasn't there uh, before. And I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Arpin uh, Arpin, of course, is uh, a realist about all these sorts of things and. A very smart man, and he uh, he he is not convinced that that this is going to happen on this timeline. But uh, um, I am. Are you? Well, there you yeah. go. Yeah, and there it's going to be great. I guess we're I just going to have to uh, get Arpin back on the podcast and teach him a thing or two. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> or I get taught. To, I, <laughs> I just wanted to thank you uh, quickly, Sean, for the line in your article today about uh, price check. About the outrageous <laughs> canard. There you go. About, I loved it. The outrageous canard. Price it's check an outrageous is actually, canard. That's our, that's our friend. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's our friend uh, Sinaya Sapergi, who is uh, one of the uh, one of the editors, one of the unsung heroes of the Athletic, who came up with that headline. She's uh, she's good people. She can tell you. She would actually be a really good podcast guest for you guys too. Not so much because Ooh. she talked to you about the Habs, but she has a gazillion stories about just complete 
crazy stuff. She used to cover uh, <laughs> junior hockey mostly for the Toronto Star oh, and minor no. league hockey. And she has <laughs> just incredible stories that, that, that you will Ooh. not believe are true. Uh, I will pump Sanaya's <laughs> tires. I will pump tires. She is one of my absolute favorite people. And uh, yeah, and she, she uh, as I say, she's one of the folks who... Uh, who handles our copy and, and makes us all look good. So I, I'm, I'm glad you like the outrageous canard. So uh, that one was for you, Veronica. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> so before we go any further, we're actually way over time. Okay. Um, we could just keep talking. Just make it a yeah. double episode. I'm joking. Everybody, I'm joking. <laughs> Next time. I love editing this stuff by myself and getting it out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, as much as I love it, I also don't love it. But yeah. <laughs> this is all incredibly fascinating. Do you have um, do you have any more thoughts uh, for Mr. Gordon here? Oh, just as usual. Um, I don't know, Sean, if you know, but you're the reason that I ended my feud with the Athletic as when you joined. <laughs> <God. when> you <laughs> this is you your fault, them, Sean. Like, essentially. I, I just uh, okay. Well, I guess I'm friends with the Athletic now. But, there, you um, go, that's, there you go. Well, there you go. I guess like uh, that's that's uh, that that might have been part of the reason. Uh, part of the thinking <laughs> for bringing me in. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I just um, love the way you use the language, and uh, thanks so much for joining us again. Oh uh, no, it's my pleasure, you guys. And I I I, I used up too much of your time, uh, but I appreciate that. No. Thanks a lot. Well worth it. Yeah. Well worth it. I do have a question. I have a silly question. Okay. Um, did you um hear about the athletic um getting a memo to not leak anything to the athletic um from like a soccer a soccer group a soccer uh league oh you know today. you know what i saw i saw there was a story about that i i honestly uh i've i've been so busy dealing with the uh dealing with with kind of rep responding to comments and finishing my column and all that stuff today i'm yeah. actually i don't know i i'm I'm guessing probably that the company did mention something to uh, to us all about that stuff, but I have to admit I haven't actually seen it. So, um, but yeah, that struck that struck me as kind of a weird thing. So like apparently I, I saw that float by. Like MLS has actually hired investigators to find out who's leaking stuff to the Athletic, oh. <laughs> which which I got to tell you, like uh, okay, um, I get it, but but like those leak investigations almost never work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's gonna be. Yeah, we're we're like I I mean I don't know like I I I know I know a little bit about those guys who do the MLS stuff who are pretty serious reporters and I'm guessing that probably they're not leaving too many cookie crumbs uh, trails to to find out who it is that they're talking to I I don't know yeah I mean okay I guess like partly partly that tells you that you've arrived as a media organization I guess if yeah. people are willing to spend money on hiring investigators to find out who's talking oh god. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and, and look, I, I just think also that, you know, I can, I can I also understand that MLS is a business and they probably are not very happy about the secrets of that particular business leaking out in the public sphere. But this is kind of how it goes in 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 basically every walk of life. And so, uh, yeah, that's actually that's interesting that you mentioned that, because I, I did see it float by um, on on my uh, on my feed on, on on my athletic app. But I, I, I haven't actually seen whether there's any communications uh about that internally or anything like that. that that's but that's an interesting that's an interesting uh i'll have to go find out more about that yeah it just made me giggle that the memo was also sent to the soccer to the part 
to the yeah. Yeah, well, like uh, that's that's always the classic. That's always the classic. Oh, I see what you mean. I thought you meant. I thought you meant whether they were oh. whether, whether we were talking about it internally. I no, mean, no, 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 no. It'd no, be absolutely. it'd be no, funny no, no, no. if you guys were too. No, no, no. But like, but but it's but it's like it's a hundred percent like that's. I, I in my previous life as a political reporter, um, yeah. I I used to frequently get people uh, to send me stuff that was that was about about the media and in some cases was about me or my paper and uh <laughs> and like talking points and things like that and i was always i'd always get a giggle out of it because then i'd phone i'd phone whoever it was put them together and say uh, hey so i'm looking at your talking points here and uh <laughs> why <laughs> and, and and so and uh yeah these are these are just uh, fun little reindeer games that uh, reporters like to play and i mean look uh if 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 you i mean i think the, the first the first rule of secrecy club is don't write anything down <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so if you're going to write a memo if you're going to write a memo about about people leaking secrets uh to uh to the athletic then odds are probably fairly strong that whoever's leaking secrets to the athletic they're probably going to leak the memo too so <laughs> yeah exactly although actually i shouldn't say that because in my experience in my my experience those type those types of things tend to come from people other than the actual sort of sources right like that's just uh right this tends to come from just i don't know mischievous mischievous person. types mm -hmm. mischievous mm -hmm. types exactly <laughs> dave sure yeah i'm um and then just for me thinking here um given everything that's happening uh sean is everybody well in your circle? Are you well uh, with yes. COVID and everything? Everything's going yes. good on your end. Yes, yes. Thank you for asking. Uh, good. And I hope everything. And I hope everything is good with you guys too. No, everything is fine. And and uh, I I I always say this to uh, to to my friends and to everybody else that like I, I am actually better cope better better positioned to cope with uh, shelter in place and working from home than just about anybody because that's more or less kind of my lifestyle. <laughs> Already, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Pandemic, whether there's a pandemic or not, and actually the 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 the, the tricky part has been uh, getting used to work with other people around. Um, but uh, you know, it's great, and everything is fine, and you know, folks are fine. And I, I live uh, just down the street from a um, uh, an elder care residence that uh, where where things are not fine. Um, mm. But uh, which is which is uh, very strange because the the neighborhood like people are careful ish uh this is the epicenter of covid in canada um mm -hmm. and uh but at the same time like i feel like i feel like i watch it on tv uh, a lot and yet when i walk by that that particular building it's like well yeah there's there's a lot of people in there who are not well and uh mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of tough but at the same time look um i've i i've had friends who have caught it uh it sounds deeply unpleasant Mm -hmm. um unpleasant enough that i would i would encourage everybody to try and distance and be very careful and all that stuff and and yeah but other than that i mean look it's uh it's it's uh we, everything everything here is fine and you know my family is fine and my friends are fine and i'm fine and and hopefully that will still be true two weeks from now and a month from now yeah. and two months from now yeah, I hope so. for sure well that's good to hear well said i'm glad to hear it <laughs> all right well thank you guys and yeah, yeah thanks, John. Thank you so much, Mr. Gordon. It's always <laughs> a pleasure. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and we'll do it again. Yes. Great. Until yes. next time. Sounds good. Thank you very right. much. Have a good Have night. Have yourselves a good night. Bye, right, Sean. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. And that's it.
That was great. So now we have the entire oral history of the 2010 Canadians on the happy hour. What a piece of work. It cannot be stressed enough. So the actual name of the article is An Unprecedented Experiment Gone Right, The Inside Story of the 2010 Canadiens from Arpen Bazu, Marc-Antoine Godin, and Sean Gordon. Marc-Antoine, right? Antoine. Antoine. Marc-Antoine Godin and, of course, Sean Gordon, who just left us. Yeah. We have to have Marc-Antoine next. He's like the only... Yeah, he's the only guy we haven't had. Yeah, Yeah, we got to get him. We'll get him. I'm sure he'll be so happy. And uh, (laughs) we're going to have to get that editor on the uh, call, too, because she sounded incredible. (laughs) Yes, she did. Yes. So We want stories. We do want stories, especially these strange COVID times. Totally. Um, I think we're all set. Yeah, we're way over. Good job, everybody. Good, Good job, everybody. Good job, everybody. Good job, Thanks, Sean everybody. Gordon. Thank Good you, Sean job, Gordon. Sean Gordon. Writer for The Athletic. God bless him. Does some very fine work there. Yes. 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 Okay. He loves you. Goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.